hey, this is Adam, and um, I recorded today's episode, uh, you know, which is an interview with John Hendrickson, who is an incredible writer, editor, and and now author. And and then um, uh, David Crosby passed away, and um, um, I've been listening to a lot of his uh, solo stuff, CSN, CSNY, and I'm thinking a lot about how um, how happy I am. I got to interview him and make him laugh really, really hard, and um, just connecting with him was really special. And it was the result of a friend of mine, Steve Silberman, who was really close with with David and connected us, and. Um, I've been listening to a lot of um, if I could only remember my name and I have my my vinyl copy right here and I wanted to open it up and just read the list of people whose photos are inside because they played on this in, incredible legendary San Francisco album uh, you got Joni Mitchell, Grace Slick, Yarma, uh, <laughs> the drummer from The Grateful Dead, Bill Kreutzmann, the bassist from The Grateful Dead, Phil Lesh, um, the other drummer from The Grateful Dead, Mickey Hart, Neil Young, uh, Graham Nash, and of course, uh, uh, Jerry Garcia. And um, um, uh, it's one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time, but it's also a, a testament to um, how many people loved David Crosby, how much um, joy he brought. And um, uh, um, it's also kind of like uh, Joe Strummer in that uh, um, he didn't make uh, um, original music for a, a really long time. And then he feverishly put out some of the most in incredible work of his life uh, right before he passed away. And... Um, I think people get caught up in when celebrities who are famous friends stop talking and have a falling out, but that happens with all of us. And um, I would love it if you if you guys read my interview with David Crosby, which was published in Denver Westward a couple of years ago, because the question I asked him that made him laugh is, is something <laughs> it's, it'll take you down a rabbit hole as well. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, rest in peace, uh, David Crosby. Um, uh, I'll never forget. I've grown up in Pittsburgh and hearing these voices on the radio, you know, from the famous uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young songs and thinking that it was like 15 voices, but it was usually three or maybe four. It was, it was, it was incredible. And also uh, uh, there's a new David Crosby album that is finished. That is uh, uh, going to come out soon. Anyway, here comes the actual My Last Ass show. When you sent me packing down Green River Valley, I knew that if you couldn't, then no one would have 
Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash, the podcast that asks what five albums you would take to a remote Colorado cabin in the event of a zombie apocalypse, armed with only food, water, and a crank-powered Victrola. Um, it's snowing like crazy in Boulder right now, and, and my kid has a, a snow day, um, one of the uh, miracles of childhood. Uh, so I can picture that remote Colorado cabin very well. Uh, I really appreciate people reaching out recently by emailing me at milehighstash at gmail.com to connect and and the people who've tipped me um, on Venmo where you can throw a a few bucks to um, at adamice9 to help me put this podcast out. I also appreciate the many generous sponsors we've had, but today reminds me of when I was a kid and there would be a commercial on TV for, you know, Blossom or Frasier or something where a dark voice said, tonight on a special episode of such and such. And then it would, it would always end with, watch it with your kids. Like you, you'd watch some primetime show while holding your family close and crying because somebody on Full House... Uh, farted uh, in math class or something like that. Um, Basically, I didn't feel right having any sponsors for Mile High Stash today because the subject and the guest are indeed very special to me and can't be brought to you by anyone or anything. Um, um, I've had guests that I know a lot about um, uh, beforehand and... uh, I'm even a guest whose song lyrics I have tattooed on my arm. You can probably guess who that is. Um, I've also had guests that I was just a little bit familiar with, like Miguel from uh, Is Kali, who I really um, enjoyed getting to know better. But today is a subject I sometimes wish I didn't know anything about, um, although the guest himself is wonderful. Um, uh, uh, today I've got uh, John uh, uh, Hendrickson, uh, a writer and editor for the Atlantic in New York City. Um, John and I have a lot in common because he used to be a a music writer in um, in Colorado, and he's a drummer. He got to interview um, a a candidate, Joe Biden, a a few years ago um, about stuttering. And the article basically went viral, uh, not only because the subject of a world leader dealing with a speech impediment is pretty amazing. Um, uh, If you've ever seen the King's speech as well. Um, um, But also because uh, John Hendrickson, for the first time in his life, opened up in the article about his own lifelong stutter. Um, I've said on this podcast a bunch of times that I stutter, and I'm sure you've heard it, uh, and that I've, I've had to face that problem since I was in the third grade, I guess. It's probably why I got so interested in playing the drums and also writing. Because uh, um, I really couldn't communicate any other way for a very long time. So anyway, along with uh, talking about his five 
zombie apocalypse albums. John and I discuss our, you know, stuttering <laughs> journeys, along with his incredible new book, Life on Delay, Making Peace with a Stutter. Um, the book just came out a few days ago, but I got to read an advanced copy last fall, and it just completely blew me away. It took me back to being a, a young kid and then a young man, unable to um, speak in class or later order pizza or uh, call my girlfriend or read a book to my kid. And it's it's intense, but um, it was also just a fun conversation and meant a lot to me. Uh, John Hendrickson has been through all of that and more. <laughs> and we had a great talk. So I'll shut up and just share it with you. John Hendrickson is with us, and um, he also has a history in Colorado, and that that's kind of the first thing I wanted to ask you about. How do you feel about your time up in Colorado, and and what sort of a, a effect did it have on you? Living in Colorado was one of the most formative experiences of my life. When I was a junior in college, I applied for an internship totally on a whim at the Denver Post. Mm. And I grew up in the East Coast and I had never been to Colorado. I had no family in Colorado, but I always thought it seemed really cool. And so I just put some articles in the mail and an internship application, and I ended up getting it and moving out for a summer to work at the paper. And then I went back to school and finished up my undergraduate degree. And shortly after I graduated, there was an opportunity to come back and work full time at the paper, yeah. which instantly took. And so around day 2010, just put everything owned into the back of my Jeep and drove out one way West. And um, it was incredible. I lived in Baker, right off South Broadway in Denver, around the corner from the high dive and Sputnik, and just all of those great South Broadway bars like the Skylark Lounge. Doherty's, I don't know if that's there still. Um, Rover, there, there are just yeah. tons of places there, and uh, it, it was incredible. You know, I was, I was nearly two thousand miles away from home, and just becoming an adult 
on my own. And I made great friends at the paper and then great friends in the music scene. I was working as the managing editor of the paper's music blog, Reverb. And so that allowed me to go to concerts almost every single night of the week. Mm. And that was just a great way to meet people and be out and about in Denver, Boulder and elsewhere. Um, And so I was out there for a little over two years. And then I I moved to New York when I took a job with the Denver Post parent company. But I've since been back to visit Colorado very often. I've I've probably, you know, I've been in New York now for over 10 years and I've made it back to Colorado about every two years or so. Mm. And I went back actually as part of this book um, and I'll be back on January 26th for a book tour event at Tatter Cover on Colfax. Yeah. I'm planning on going to that with my friend Allegra, um, um, who is oh, yeah. a, a speech therapist and and um, writes incredible blogs about stutterers and and um we have a lot of things in common john you know we're both from pennsylvania we both have been music writers and um we both stutter and one of the things that i was most struck by um, in your book is what we don't have in common is how brave you have been since such a young age um uh, there's the passage about the speech that you gave that took uh, uh, 10 minutes or, or more to uh, um, uh, say something that maybe a non-starter would take a few minutes to say. And I, I've never done something like that still. And I'm, I'm 42 now. <laughs> and just the way that you have walked through the fire since since you were a teenager, it sounds like just to say, you know what, this is me and I'm not going to let it get in my way. You know, if there's something that I want to do, I believe in, um, I'm just going to do it. And, um, you're writing and, and editing for the Atlantic now, correct? Yeah, I am. And yeah. I appreciate everything you just said there. Um, but I don't know if I necessarily agree with it personally. I think yeah. there were moments in my life growing up where I did just face it in the, those, these brief moments here and there. And those felt great, but there were so many more moments where I was avoiding life altogether, where I refused to go to a restaurant because I was afraid to order off the menu, where I wouldn't pick up the telephone. And just so many of those day-to-day little things that really took decades to unlearn and i think 
that's a major theme of the book, just the process of unlearning all those behaviors. Yeah. A, a big one for me was the phone and, and just doing whatever I could to not have to talk on the phone, including, um, uh, 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 there's a part of your book that, uh, that I also really identified with where you got a job at the Denver post writing about music and you had to interview somebody and, and you just kind of assumed it would be over email. And that's, yeah, that's something that I did for so, so many years. And, and it's almost like I got away with it. Like sometimes I wouldn't I, I, I tell the publication that I had done the interview over email. And I remember interviewing Lori Anderson a long time ago. And I was so nervous because she's such a, a hero of mine. And I didn't say that I stutter. And I did. And yet I told myself, I'm going to do this over the phone. And she got fed up with me in like a very New York way <laughs> because <laughs> she didn't know that I was stuttering. I think she thought that there was a lot of nervousness and space in the conversation. And the interview didn't go well. And, and now... Um, I make sure to say before most interviews start, I'm going to let you know that I stutter. And not only does it um, uh, uh, create a, a sort of bond um, in the conversation and, and a flow, um, sometimes it makes me stutter less, I think, because I'm not trying to cover mm. it up. Um, I, 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 I was wondering, do you... Do you do the same thing before you interview someone? You know, do you say, "I'm gonna let you know, I'm not just anxious or really hungover." That's what I usually say. I want to let you know I'm not anxious or really hungover or um, anything like that. I I just have a stutter. Now I do that. I yeah. I think I've only become comfortable doing that in the past two to four years yeah. and you know I went through so many so many interviews of trying to keep the world's worst secret like yeah. I hope they don't f figure it out even though yeah. it was so obvious and I always avoided phone interviews and I did some occasional email interviews but what I tried to do most was in-person interviews because I felt more comfortable one-on-one face-to-face -on -one -face than I did over the phone. There's just something about that time pressure that right. it's just, it takes you right back to childhood. Yeah. Um, but I have definitely found that disclosing that I stutter before we get started puts the other person at ease and it makes them let their guard down a little bit yeah. in a way that they might not to a more intimidating, fast talking journalist. Yeah. And the result is I think I've been able to get more interesting stories out of people sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the big thing for me, I think that that shifted 
my uh, uh, willingness to talk on the phone um, um, was that my child was born when I was 29 and I got a job at a law firm and I was the sole financial support for my kid. And I didn't say, thank you for giving me this job, you know, but I can't talk on the phone. I, I just took the job, you know, because somebody had to <laughs> support my kid and I just walked through the fire. That's a term that I use a lot, but I just stuttered a lot all of the time. And I got uh, picked on by clients and and things but in the back of my head it was just uh, uh, for my child to live I'm, this is something i have to do and so uh, ever since then i don't really avoid the the phone that doesn't mean i like it but i don't avoid it and, and so uh, uh, i wonder what happened in you uh, maybe uh, when you got that that internship and then moved to new york maybe Similarly, you thought, <laughs> in order for this person to live, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna have to do this. Definitely. One defining moment that I write about um, in the book is being an intern. You know, being 21 and being on the job for three, four weeks. And my favorite band, Wilco, was putting out an album and Ricardo Bacca, the music critic at the time, was going to review Tweety about it. And the day before, he asked me, he said, oh, you love Wilco, don't you? Would you like to do this interview? And and he, he said, "It'll they'll give you, yeah, what he said, like, they'll give you 20 minutes on the phone with him tomorrow. And I, it was simultaneously the best and worst news I've ever heard. Because mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, a chance to talk to Tweety, do this interview, but then learning to be a telephone is just yeah. like, there's no way. And so I really, I molded over for many hours and came very close to turning it down, backing out. But mm -hmm. I, I just reluctantly agreed. And I think I asked Ricardo to just pass along to the publicist, like John is the person who started, yeah. but he, he, um, he knows this band, he knows their work. So just please let Jeff know that. And Tweety was totally cool on the phone and he yeah. just gave me an amazing interview and we had an amazing improvisational conversation. Yeah. And it was a real moment of pride in my life. And I, uh, I think I found moving out to Colorado in general is that people are far less judgmental than they are elsewhere. And a lot of people move their 
from other parts of the country, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there's just like the, you know, the general laid back vibe, very ex- ex- accepting and people become fast friends. Yeah. And I definitely felt comfortable in my own skin there. And then paradoxically, moving to New York, I also felt comfortable in my own skin, like, you know, like I was putting on an old sweatshirt, but for an entirely different reason, which is just people are too fast moving, too busy, too wrapped up in XYZ to care yeah which is its own its own sort of welcoming Mm. and it is just it is like this sounds cliche but it is a true cross-section of the world and true melting pot of every background you know one of the most diverse major cities in the world and that means that there are going to be people with all sorts of disabilities and all sorts of challenges yeah. every 10 feet. Yeah. And so that in its own way to just help me sort of be more comfortable being a person who stutters, yeah. but it happened pretty slowly over time. I remember in San Francisco, um, that's where I lived in uh, most of my twenties, and I remember getting made fun of a, a few times in bars and stuttering, and somebody saying, "I want some of what that guy's on," you know, and things like that. And it's, it's it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. It's almost the opposite in Colorado. Maybe somebody would would say, "Oh, that's really difficult." Uh, you know, that seems really difficult for you. How does it feel? You know, and then in New York or Pittsburgh, where I'm from, you know, you might say I stutter and somebody will say, so what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's move on with our day. Mm-hmm. You know? And both sides of that coin work and they're both yeah. beneficial. And I think it's just a matter of what you personally are seeking out of life. Yeah. When, when did you get comfortable enough with stuttering to host a podcast? Oh, two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was anything that I was um, uh, 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 brave enough to do even 60 days ago. I just I just had this thought that it, 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 it is something I should be doing you know, because I interview so many interesting people and Last couple of years, I've interviewed um, David Crosby, uh, Anderson Pack, um, um, multiple members of Los Lobos, which is one of my favorite bands. And um, uh, 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 there are two things that made me want to do a podcast. And one is that, um, as you know, you know, you might spend an hour interviewing somebody, and five minutes of that goes in, into the the actual article, uh, um, and otherwise, it's your version of who you think that person is you know it, it's it's the writer's take on it and so i wanted to share um um the subjects 
a true perspective, you know, and in, in their actual voice, literal voice. And the other thing is I have been a, a drummer uh, um, as long as I've been a writer, you know, since I was nine or 10 and um, I get interviewed as well. And it's often not what I said, what ends up in the, in, in the newspaper or magazine is not what I said. And so doing it this way, there's not really a, a chance to misquote anybody because it's, it's the whole thing out there. Yeah. Um, speaking of the podcast, five albums that, that you would take to a remote Colorado cabin during a zombie apocalypse. Let's, let's start with two from your list. This was very hard and I love it as a prompt and I've, put a lot of thought into it in recent days. Uh, two to start here. The first would be George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. Oh, beautiful. One of my reasons for that is it's a one of the first albums that my wife and I bonded over. And I had obviously, you know, listened to the Beatles. I had listened to George Harrison, but I had never really had a relationship with that particular album before I met her. And we did this great road trip from San Francisco down to LA to be with her family down the PCH. And we were listening to that. So anytime I hear it, I conjure that road trip. And if not for you was our, first dance at our wedding that's great this past summer which i know is uh you know bob dylan song but the george version of that song yeah um zombie apocalypse remote cabin album number two charles bradley changes oh that's a great one yeah the title track, his cover of the Black Sabbath song is just one of the best vocal performances, one of the best covers I've ever heard. Yeah. And the rest of the album is just as good. And I was lucky to see Charles Bradley two or three times live before he died and he really was like a living angel mm-hmm. he uh, did you ever see him live no i didn't see him live but i i think he was a he was a james brown in, impersonator for a long time and then finally got the well-deserved success on his own but not until i don't know his 50s is that correct Possibly even older. I yeah. forget his exact age mm. when he made that first album on Daptone. Um, 
I think he may have even been in his early 60s. Yeah. I mean, the first album. But that's exactly right. He was a James Brown impersonator. And prior to that was moving around a lot. He was washing dishes and he was living in resort towns and Mm -hmm. just just kind of getting by. There's a great documentary about him. I believe it's called Made in America. And it's very intimate, very up close and personal and charts his whole rise. And just the love that would pour out of him both on record and in concert was so real and authentic. And that album always brings me a lot of comfort. And so I think if there were an apocalypse, I would need that comfort. Yeah. She was my woman. I love her so. I was wondering, um, um, uh, 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 for me, uh, uh, the first time that I really met somebody I would consider a friend who stuttered was Steve Varney from Gregory on Isakov's band. And I was backstage. He was opening for my band at the Fox Theater about six years ago. Um, and I hadn't met him. And he got on stage to sound check and sang. And then I uh, 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 introduced myself and then um, we we're hanging out backstage and I, and I, and I didn't know, I just hadn't been in these situations where I'm around people who stutter almost at all. And I, uh, 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 I said to one of my bandmates who was, uh, uh, he also plays with Greg, you know, I turned to him a few minutes later and I, I said, the Steve stutter and he goes oh yeah everybody knows Steve's Steve stutters and so we developed this friendship and um I I don't think it was mentioned in your book all that much it was a, a little bit but just you know do you have a, a community um of stutterers that you're friends with or as a kid did you have friends who stuttered? Growing up, I was always the only person I knew who stuttered. Yeah. And I, you know, I would see other kids who, who stuttered going in and out of the therapist's office before or after me. Mm. I never talked to them. I never met them. We were never friends. I certainly knew there were other people on earth who stuttered, right. but I never met, I never met anybody else really until senior year of college. And 
it was when I was in a band, I played drums in a college band and the guitarist happened to be a person who stuttered and me and him talked about it for like maybe five minutes, maybe one day. And that was it. And then we just never again. Yeah. And I think that was reflective of where we both were at the yeah. time where it was okay to just do that small acknowledgement and then just keep living with, you know, like I said, like the world's worst kept secret. Yeah. Um, but after writing an article in the Atlantic in the fall of 2019 about Joe Biden's lifelong journey with stuttering, right. that brought me in to the larger community of people who stutter. And I began receiving these letters and emails and messages from total strangers who stuttered, yeah. just telling me their life stories. And then a, and a lot of people were encouraging me to check out one of the local chapter meetings of the National Stuttering Association. And it took me a while to find the confidence to go. But, you know, maybe nine or 10 months after that, I finally went to my first meeting of the Brooklyn chapter. And it was crazy to be, you know, it happened over Zoom, but it was yeah. crazy to be around all these other adults who stutter. And it was kind of rocked my world. Mm. And the following year, I went to the National Stuttering Association annual conference, which was down in Austin. And the next week, I went to a smaller conference of this group called friends who stutter mm. and that that one moves around every year and in 2021 when i went it happened to be in colorado it happened to be outside denver mm. so it was a great reason to go back and yeah. be in my old stomping grounds and at that convention i actually met uh, steve barney and mm. had a real great conversation with them and i met some other wonderful colorado people who's better and have remained close with them ever since yeah and it's I, i've been thinking about it a lot lately that it's not like a group of people um with brown eyes you know because everyone stutters in a different way and also you know maybe you have an afternoon that's fluid and then an evening that's not and um my friends in my san francisco days all knew that i stuttered you know because i self-medicated with alcohol a lot especially when i was playing shows which is it's it's so easy to drink because it's free and that made it easy to talk when i was drunk but then made it a lot worse the next day my stuttering was a lot worse the next day and now um with this podcast there have been a few different 
um, um, results from actually mentioning on the podcast that I stutter. And the first one I remember was um, uh, Clay Rose from Gasoline Lollipops. He's one of my best friends. And right before the interview, I, I said what I say to everybody. You know, I, I said, I want to let you know that I stutter. And he says, I fucking know that you, that you stutter. <laughs> he was like, you think, you think I don't know this? And it was just like <laughs> really calming. And then <laughs> I've had friends say to me, I've had three or four people say, uh, say, uh, say to me, I've known you for years. And you and you mentioned on, on your podcast that you stutter and you probably shouldn't say that. It's not that bad. You know, it seems like you don't really stutter. And that, I'm not sure how to react to that. That's a challenging one. People's heart, are, a person's heart's always in the right place yeah. when they say something like that. Yeah. And you got to give people the benefit of the doubt. And when they say that, I'm sure they think they're paying you a compliment. When you parse that sentence a little bit, it's not that bad. That means the way that you talk, the way anybody talks is either good or bad. Right, right. And it's taken me some practice to get away from that sort of language these past few years. Mm-hmm. Now, I prefer to use adjectives like pronounced, mm. which I feel is a little more neutral. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. You know, I've had friends tell me that as well, or, you know, they say something like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, not that bad no one cares and that's a really nice thing on one hand but on another level like unless you're a person who stutters you don't know what these daily mental games are like and you don't know the the 100 layers of this disorder like yeah. tripping over words is not even the tip of the iceberg. That's a very, exactly. very, 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 very top of the problem. The yeah. bulk of the problem is everything that happens inside you. Yeah. And for me, honestly, there are a, 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 a lot of times in the music industry where I have to schmooze like not being fake but you have to go over and talk or you have to be you have to interject you know to build up relationships and no one knows what's going on in my head and how long sometimes like i'm almost like finding a rhythm in my head or my heart or my body to try to build up to say something and so if it just comes out then all the people around know is the words that came out. They don't know what's behind it. And so to say you don't really stutter, so you shouldn't mention it. It it's it is somebody trying to be 
encouraging like oh actually actually it's fine but um, i think what might be better is 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 to say what's it like for you you know yeah um, that reframing has also been a pivotal change for me as a journalist during the first part of my career when i was interviewing people and if they brought up hard stuff my instinct was to meet them where they are and immediately respond with empathy and immediately mm -hmm. say something like that must have been so hard yeah what i've tried to do in recent years is instead say what was that like yeah. leave it open-ended and let the person articulate their feelings. And I mm -hmm. think when you phrase something that way, you get much more interesting answers. Yeah. Can you give me albums number three and four? All right. Number th <laughs> three. Carol King Tapestry. Oh wow! Yeah, I've got that on um, a vinyl record right behind me. Yeah, that's a surprising choice. I didn't expect you to pick Carol King. Why not? I don't know. You seem like more of a rocker to me. You know. Yes, but one of my criteria when turn it down to five. Mm -hmm is an album that you can listen to over and over and over again and never get tired of. And an album that works in a lot of different environments. Yeah. Blue sky day, cloudy day, you know, winter, summer, whatever emotion you find yourself in, Mm -hmm. this album will somehow correspond. And I think that, that absolutely applies to Tapestry. And it's just the power of her song writing and her melody ability. Yeah. It's great that you picked a woman, you know, early on too, because there have been a bunch of people on the podcast who picked all men and I and I wonder, like, how could you not have a woman's voice in, in there somewhere? If, if the zombies are at your door, you know. <laughs> Number four, Grateful Dead, Europe seventy-two. Okay, this really surprises me. I did not. I didn't know that you were a deadhead, or you know, not necessarily a, a deadhead, but have a love for the dead. Big time. And my love, you know, I'd say my favorite dead album is American Beauty. Yeah. But uh, this gets back to my first answer with All Things Must Pass, where if you're going to narrow it down to only five for the rest of time, double albums, a way to go. Yeah. More yeah. songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what I love about Europe 72 is it feels like a metal journey. You're really yeah. going somewhere with it. 
and all these different like jack straw you can just ride the wave of a particular song or a particular part of that album and it's again an album that it can apply to a lot of different emotions a lot of different <laughs> feelings at a particular time in your life and it's also a great album to put on in the background when you're writing yeah and it's got um you know as you're alluding to it it, it has a lot of different emotions on it It as happiness it has sadness it has creativity it has loss you know it, and and also has a famous joke on it you know about turlock california and all that that's a great choice Do we have a mutual friend in uh, 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 Steve Silverman who wrote uh, uh, Neurotribes? Yes. So we've, of course, bonded a lot mm -hmm. over the years. And, and yeah. he wrote a, a very generous blurb of my book, which I really appreciated. Yeah. And he seems like just one of the best people in journalism and publishing. I really look yeah. forward to meeting him in person someday. He's the reason that we're talking right now. I was driving my kid down to, I think it was an avalanche game. And um, he called me and he just said, these people sent me this book and it made me think of you and, and you have to read it. You've got to read this. And we had a great you know conversation I, I don't think anyone has seen me or experienced me or been with me stuttering as much as Steve. And and um, I want to thank him for for all, all the patience. And, Oops. you know, um, there's a very wonderful uh, uh, um, article about stuttering that came out uh, uh, two years ago or so. Um, um, it's by a guy named Barry, uh, I think you call it, I think you say Yalman. Um, and he was talking about how stuttering is one of the only times in life that you just really see somebody you don't know naked. I mean, you really, there's nothing, you can't hide. It's, it's me when I'm talking and, um, I couldn't be phony if I wanted to because I'm just literally trying to get something out, <laughs> you know. Barry is one of my very favorite people in this whole yeah. community of stutterers. And yeah. he's also a writer and journalist. Yeah. Just an incredibly thoughtful person, a very nuanced thinker. And Barry has been in this world of pushing toward acceptance, normalization, destigmatization, Barry's been doing it since the early 
90s. Yeah. And there are always new people emerging and new groups. And Barry just welcomes everybody in with open arms. And he really looks out for people. And I think he's written some of the most brilliant things ever written about the topic of stuttering. Yeah. Um, and he made me think as well about this question of what would you do if you could fix your stutter? And and I don't know if I thought about that before because it could be possible. There could be a pill. There could be something, you know, where you could make it go away, but then you'd be making part of yourself go away. And uh, somebody told me a long time ago that you can't choose which parts of yourself to love. You either love yourself or you don't. And and so I, I don't know. Like if I could choose, the, the other question is um, if I could choose whether or not my kid had a stutter, I would, I don't think I'd want my kid to stutter. At the same time, like if I could fix, and that's not even a great word to say, right? Like <laughs> fix yourself. But like if I could make my stutter completely go away, would I? And I don't, I don't think I would. My answer to that question has changed over time. Yeah. I think, I think as a kid, I would have absolutely taken the magic pill mm. and probably as a teenager and other ages. Now, I don't think I would, but I don't doubt anybody's answer to that question and I don't judge it. Right. And this disorder really does exist on a wide spectrum. There are people with relatively mild stutters or, or who are covert stutterers who constantly word switch and mm-hmm. kind of never let on. And then there are people who practically can't talk at all and who can't find employment can't find a romantic partner who barely leave their house have any friends any social life and who who may be dealing with pretty serious depression or other mental health issues for a person in that circumstance, I don't see anything wrong with taking a magic pill. Yeah. And I don't see it as any different than taking an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication. But for people like yourself who you know, have a family, have job have mm-hmm. passion live a full round life maybe the magic pill doesn't make sense yeah yeah i don't think there's any one size fits all answer 
but that question is a, a perpetually thorny one and it's one that i explore in the book yeah with the profile of the doctor who's been leading the charge toward the magic pill for decades gerald mcguire and Gerald Maguire's motivation is because he's a person who stutters and his older brother was a person who stutters mm. and his older brother took his own life. And so Gerald is really on a mission, on a calling to keep other people from following that fate. Yeah, I mean, wow. It's such a deep and a complex question. And um, I think I think the obvious answer is is that if that quote unquote magic pill existed, that would be a good thing. And and there then there would be situations where it was it was obviously necessary. Um yeah. well I really think it it's it's just the conversation, I don't think it should be about should this pill um, exist? I think it should be who should potentially take it and yeah. when. Yeah. You know. And who decides too? I mean, mm -hmm. it'd be parents as well as, you know, adults. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why did you decide to uh, 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 write about your stuttering journey when you did? I mean, I'm I'm just assuming that maybe like a lot of stutterers, you know, you just spent a lot of years trying to prove yourself and then you know, maybe talk about your vulnerabilities and your um reality really. It was very much the often the room and after writing that 2019 article in the atlantic about joe biden so many people who people who the people who stutter from around the world began reaching out to me and began telling me their life stories that made me feel like i was tapping into something that there was a desire for more writing about this topic yeah. and, and that there were layers to explore. But it took me a long time to get there and to become comfortable pursuing it at all and i don't know if i ever became 100 percent comfortable i think i just reached a point where i was like all right i guess this is happening mm -hmm. and then you're just sort of moving forward and i think that's how a lot of life is yeah what's it like to i'm assuming in in the wake of the publication of the book you're you're speaking more than maybe you ever have in your entire life Yes, and I'm 
about to. Um, my book comes out in a week, yeah. and I'm very honored that some people want to talk to me about it, and I'm doing some interviews. Very, very grateful for that. Um, and I'll be traveling around the country a bit through the spring, talking about talking about stuttering, talking about the book, and that's something I've never ever done. That's something I never dreamed possible. You know, if you had told ten year old me, like when you're 34, you will be public public speaking about your problem yeah i think i would have laughed in that person's face yeah but it's a rare opportunity and i'm i'm very grateful to talk to anybody about it because it's yeah. it's just so cool to connect with others mm -hmm. and like trade experiences yeah so i've had a, a whole bunch of sponsors on my podcast they pay you know it, it's it's local venues restaurants um um tattoo shops and things like that and so i approached this venue in, in denver recently and, and said you know would you like to um sponsor an, an upcoming episode and they said well that's not something that we really do like we don't really purchase advertising but how about you come and do a live recording of an episode nice with, with the band you know so the band will play a set and then i'll do a an uh an, an interview and then they'll, they'll do another set and it's one of these things where i'm like what did i get myself into now i have to now i have to do this i have that sounds awesome though <laughs> that sounds great <laughs> It sounds terrifying, but like maybe it maybe it works out. Um, and then I want to do one of those every three months or so. But uh, you should absolutely do oof. that. Like I would go to that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see how it goes. It's set up. It's it's going to be uh, Saturday, uh, April first, and the only other time I've really done public speaking um, in my life was a friend's wedding and it, it wasn't even a wedding it was just they wanted to get married at my show in um in jamestown that i was playing um uh, two years ago and they said will you marry us in front of everybody so that was the only other time i've done public speaking so the the thought of doing exactly what me and you were doing right now but in front of an, an audience um it's it's exciting and uh, terrifying at the, at the same time at the same time well five years ago did you ever think you would host a podcast i didn't think i would be hosting a podcast three months ago and <laughs> your book um is is uh, such an inspiration and and there's so many things in there that that make me say like um i really hope that someone 
young, especially someone who's really struggling in junior high or, or high school with a stuttering, reads your book and says, instead of having my parents order for me at, at the restaurant or, or um, not calling that girl that I like, you know, maybe I'll just do it and, and stutter. And, and it's not in my control how the other person reacts. You know, I think that's really important as well. Thank you so much, Adam. And, you know, this is an adult book. It's aimed at adults. Yeah. But I, in many ways, wrote this book for my teenage self. And I wish this is a book that I could have read when I was 16 or even yeah. in early college. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have um, just given me comfort. And and so I am totally overwhelmed and honored at the prospect of a teenager who stutters possibly reading this. And I, Hope it gives some comfort. Yeah, and I hope that those middle school, high school counselors who tried to help us have copies of this this book, I really, <laughs> really, really do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what is your fifth and and final album for the apocalypse? So hard to pick number five. You know, like, like I mentioned earlier, Wilco is my favorite band, but I ultimately did not choose a Wilco album. Wow. And, you know, Bob Dylan's among my favorites of all time, Neil Young. Mm -hmm. But I didn't choose either of them either. I, uh, I went with Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. Wow. You're full of surprises. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted, I thought about just all the five different sounds mm -hmm. and I wanted them to be distinct from each other. I think yeah. you can hear some traces of Wilco and Dylan and Neil Young and all things must pass. So I'm like, I'm like, I got, I got an approximation of that stuff. Right. right. I wanted, uh, I, I just, I wanted voices that would bring me that companionship. If you're really mm -hmm. alone in the apocalypse in a cabin in the woods. And that's a timeless record. And I was in Denver when Amy Winehouse died, I remember that day very, very well. I believe it was a Saturday morning of the UMS when the oh, wow. news broke. Yeah, and I lived like block off South Broadway, and I was having a little day party at my apartment, and I. I opened all the windows and turned that record on very loud. And I, it just has a real place in my heart. Well, it, it's possible that um, the zombies would hear a, 
rehab and, and just start dancing and, and think, you know, <laughs> we don't actually want to hurt anybody, you know. Yeah, like me and Mr. Jones, it just yeah, tears dry on their own, you know. Yeah. Uh, 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 thank you so much for talking with me. Um, um, and I'm definitely going to be at the event in Denver. I'm... Thank you very, very much, Adam. It was a real pleasure talking to you. And yeah, that event is going to be Thursday, January the 26th at Tethered Cover on Colfax, mm-hmm. right next door to Twist and Shout. So I will yeah. absolutely be buying a few records. Nice. And it's a it's at six o'clock or no tickets, no purchase mm-hmm. necessary. You can just walk in and I'll be in conversation with John Wenzel from the. Denver oh, great. Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I'm excited to meet you in person and thank you so much for doing this. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me on it was a real treat i'll give you another hour then i gotta run i gotta fly away leave you to fall leave you to stuff thanks for listening everyone uh that was john hendrickson and i talking about what he calls the world's worst kept secret um even though i'm a pit guy and he's a penn state guy I think we get along just fine. Um, His brand new book, Life on Delay, is out now. And he'll be at the Tired Cover in Denver this Thursday, January 26th at 6 p.m. to talk about the book and about his stuttering um, journey. Um, I hope to see some Mile High Stash listeners there, too. Um, It takes a lot of courage for people to show their true selves and we have these symbolic dreams about walking through the halls of school naked or whatever and stutterers kind of walk around naked all the time showing our true selves whether we want to or not and like john and i discussed um not only does everyone who stutters have a completely different impediment and different coping mechanisms and um, idiosyncrasies of um, psychology and, and, and anxiety and everything you can imagine but can't really understand unless you're in the head of the stutterer. Um, we also have our, our good days and bad days, our good moments and, and bad moments and, and everything in between. Um, I'm actually doing dry January right now, and that definitely affects me and my speech. Uh, a lot of you might join in my excitement about wet February. That's that's always a good one. Um, anyway, get in touch by writing me at uh, milehighstash at gmail.com if you want to connect or want me to mail you a Mile High Stash uh, a bumper sticker. <laughs> Next Monday, we've got a, a talented and very charming member of the Lumineers joining us. And I, and I also want to remind everyone that I'm doing a live episode of Mile High Stash at number 38 in Denver on April Fool's Day, which is Saturday, April 1st. That's the day I get back from Puerto Rico. So 
probably have a tan. Uh, Fox Feather is uh, playing two sets that night, and I'll be I'm interviewing the amazing ladies of, of Fox Feather in between their sets. It's a free show, and number 38 is a great place to see live music, have drinks, have food, all that good stuff. Um, all right, we'll see you next Monday, as as usual. Hopefully we won't all break our New Year's resolutions by then. Tomorrow.